story, what does it have to say to us? Uh, because, you know, one of the greatest dilemmas, thank you, let me just, one of the great dilemmas of the modern world is that many of us feel two impulses within us. You might call them the impulse towards faith and the impulse towards fact. You know, so on the one hand, uh, there's one side of us that feels that there is some mystical transcendent reality behind the universe that ultimately gives meaning to our lives. This is why we're here. And there's something in us that has a longing to, to connect with that spiritual reality. And there's something that feels kind of hollow and empty if we don't have that connection. And yet there's another part of us that feels like, you know, as modern people, haven't we kind of grown out of ideas about the supernatural? Aren't we, you know, wasn't that kind of a part of our childhood as humanity? And, you know, we've evolved and we've grown past that. And we have a certain nostalgia for back in the, you know, in that time when we could believe in miracles and powers. You know, there was the dreamer inside all of us that believed that there was some deep meaning behind the universe. But now we have to face the cold, hard facts. And we feel like there's a certain honesty to face the cold, hard facts. If you're a mature person, you need to do that. And so in this dilemma, many people say, my intellect forces me to believe the universe has been emptied of God. And yet something is unsatisfying about that. And my heart longs for a deeper meaning. Maybe that's you this evening. Maybe you feel that dilemma between these two things. Maybe, you know, need to be a mature modern people or there's this, you know, childlike wonder inside of me. Well, it's precisely this dilemma that Christmas speaks to more profoundly than anything. Because, of course, what is Christmas? Christmas is a story where the God, the transcendent reality behind the universe, entered into the world of cold, hard facts. He became a cold, hard fact. Actually, quite literally, you know, uh, Jesus, who is God become a man, uh, was born into a manger, cold, cold, harsh reality. He was born into a poor family. And actually, most of his ministry, he lived as a homeless man. And so God entered into the world of cold, hard reality. And the way that uh, C.S. Lewis famously put this is that in Christmas, the God of myth became a man of fact. Myth became fact. You see, because C.S. Lewis uh, was a modern man in many ways. You know, he, this dilemma lived inside of him. If you studied C.S. Lewis's life, you might know that. That there's a part of him, you know, he wrote fairy tales. And, he, you know, he was very imaginative and he was creative. And he had this deep longing to connect with joy in his life. And yet also during his upbringing, especially during his adolescence, his favorite tutor that he had as a teacher was this rigorous intellectual atheist who told him that if you follow logic to its you know, logical conclusion, you're not going to believe in God, you're not going to believe in the Bible. And so for all of his adult life, he was an atheist. He, he left the faith of his childhood. But one night in 1931, C.S. Lewis went on a famous walk with two of his friends, Hugo Dyson and J.R.R. Tolkien. In, in Oxford, and he went out talking, and they went on, and they had this conversation late into the night about these two sides of C.S. Lewis, the, you know, the logical modern man and the pre-modern man who believed in the you know, God and wonder and, and miracles. And, uh, and uh, 
you know, he thought he was faced with this choice of which person am I going to be. And what Tolkien told them was, you don't have to make a choice between being the logical modern person or the person of wonder who connects with mystery because of Jesus Christ. He says, Jesus is the true myth. You know, all throughout history, there were all these myths about gods who came down and gods that died and they rose again. But no one ever knew when that happened or who did it or in what culture. There's no real record of it. It's just kind of lost in legend. Not the case with Jesus Christ. We know where he was born. Bethlehem, little village. You can go visit it to this day in Palestine. We know about what year is probably between 4 and 6 B.C. where, you know, he died. We know who the governor was. Quirinius was the governor when, when Jesus was born. It, this was an event that happened in history. The God of our longings entered the world of cold, hard facts, the world of history. And actually, you know, when Lewis was on that walk and he's having this conversation, they were up to like 3 in the morning talking about this. And at one point, this great wind came and all these leaves started falling down. And, you know, he's this man who's been an atheist. And all of a sudden, he felt like the presence of God was coming while he's having this conversation. And actually, it was this conversation that became the turning point of his whole life. But I'll tell you, you know, having this turning point where he realized, wow, maybe I can know God. Maybe I can know joy, deeper reality was not only a happy thing. It was a troubling thing for C.S. Lewis, too. You know, at one point, this is what he said. I had always wanted, above all things, not to be interfered with. <laughs> I, I always want not to be interfered with. I want my own private little life. And Christmas is, of course, the great interference where God came into our world. God comes into our lives. And many of you experience that, where God maybe annoyingly seems to insert himself in your life in ways that you didn't ask him to or didn't want him to, and he's always sh showing up around every corner. But let me ask you this. If there really is a God who is love, would he keep us at a safe distance? Would he stay up there safe in heaven where no one can get to him? Or would he come into the mess of our lives and the brokenness in the, this world? What does love do? The most loving people that you know in your life and your life is broken and disappointing and hard, do they keep you at a safe distance or do they enter into the sorrow with you? And what Christmas tells us is that the God of love did not keep us at a safe distance. He entered into this world because this is what love looks like. It looks like Christmas. And I, by the way, I challenge you, find another God who's done that. Find another God who's entered into a poor family, been poor, and felt the misery of this world. Are there any gods? There are none other except Jesus Christ. And Christmas tells us that whatever brokenness or disappointment or shame you have in your life, whatever cold, hard facts that you're facing, that you'd say, you know, I don't know what, if God can even face this. I don't even know if God has anything to do with these cold, harsh realities that I have to deal with this world that the mature modern person has to face on their own. Jesus was willing to enter it, and Jesus is still willing to enter it, and to face you and me who we really are, and to bring that kind of turning point that C.S. Lewis experienced in his life into our lives. But also, Jesus does not just share in the cold, hard facts of our lives. He brings hope, wonder, love, joy, faithfulness, 
all the things that we long for more than anything into our lives, he brings them into us. It brings those things to us. And I'll tell you, you know, when you recognize that and you say, you know what, I want this love that's from outside of the world that has come into the world. I want that love to define my life. Two things are going to happen to you. Let me just say this briefly. When you embrace that love, first of all, it's going to change how you view God. You know, some of you have maybe asked the question, what is God like? You can't see him. You can't talk to him. I think he's out there. Everyone's kind of got a hunch and everyone's got a guess about what God is like. But Christmas tells us if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. You look at him welcoming the outcast, the outsider that everyone despises, and he embraces them and brings them in. That's what God is like. You see his love, his feeding of people, his forming of a family, his teaching. You see his sacrificial death on our behalf. That is what God is like. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. But the second thing that Christmas tells us not just what God is like, but it tells us also something about the cold, hard facts in our lives. And many of you come here, I know on Christmas, you know, Christmas is we're decorating, we're, we got meals, we've got presents, and yet many of the deep sorrows in our lives are not lessened during Christmas. They're heightened during this season. And what this tells us is those things that it seems to us that God is furthest from, the despair and the sorrows in our lives. Christmas tells us that those are the places where you meet God. And so that's this question for us. Whatever those sorrows and disappointments that you're bringing to this church for this little service on Christmas Eve, what is God saying to you? And then what is God calling to you in those sorrows this evening? That's our call to respond to that. And so this Christmas, God is not asking you to set your intellect aside so that you can have spiritual longings, but he calls us to bring our mind and our heart, the dreamer in us, the logical modern person in us. He's bringing all, bring all of who we are and our disappointments and sorrows and believe in the baby Jesus who did not stay at a distance but came to share in our world because he is the God of love. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've gathered us here. And you've given us this story, a story about this world and a story about the God of this world that we might be filled with wonder and hope. We pray that you would bring both sides of who we are, our mind and our heart together in worship as we worship you this Christmas. It's in your name we pray, amen.